0: I'm particularly excited about a Father's Day gift that I'm going to get in about three days when my son and I will go on a backpacking trip with uh, four other dads and their fifth grade sons, and this is our long-awaited modern-day night backpacking trip. So we are very, very excited about it. Uh, we're headed to the Pecos Mountains, and uh, we hope we get rained on while we're there just to see what it's like, you know. <laughs> But really, for us, this is more than just a normal backpacking trip. In many ways, uh, we consider this a, a rite of passage for our boys. Uh, as dads, we've committed ourselves to uh, raising modern-day knights, boys who will come become men, <laughs> men who will lead their friends, uh, their siblings, someday their own family, into a way that would honor God and following Him in all that they do. We've spent the last year talking about what it means to be Uh, A man, and and more specifically, uh, a man after God's own heart. As a group, we've participated in what we affectionately call BAM sessions, where BAM stands for becoming a man. (laughs) It's been a great time as we have taken adventure and wrapped inside of it some of the truths that we see in Scripture about what it means to be a a man of God. You see, uh, next year, our young elementary kids will be, as Russ calls them, Big bad middle schoolers. <laughs> and we all know that the world from the middle school view is a whole lot different than elementary school. And so we want to prepare them for what lies ahead. We understand that our boys are going to face some significant challenges. And this backpacking trip, in, in many ways, is intended to help them rise to that challenge by strengthening their faith in God and also committing themselves to the relationship that they share with each other as brothers in Christ. So if you would, I just want to ask you to pray for us. Uh, Pray for our safety, but also just pray for that message that we will give our boys very intentionally about what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Uh, But make no mistake, this uh, trip is not just for the boys. (laughs) There's some big boys who want to go on this thing just as bad, uh, and we're looking forward to that as well. I I haven't been backpacking since I was in college, and I'll be honest, I have been looking forward to this day when I get to do this with my sons uh, for a long time. And, and if you've never been backpacking before, let me just tell you that there's something pretty special about an experience like this, where you strap on your back everything you need for survival, and, and you head into the wilderness. And you may see a few people on the trail, but for the most part, it's uh, you and God's creation. No cell phones, no computers, no traffic. It's really like a breath of fresh air for your body and your mind. A trip like this takes you to the places you've never been and and allows you to see things in many times that that you've never seen before. And and even some of those things that you've seen a thousand times have a new perspective uh, when you're in the simplicity of God's nature. I can remember a a trip, Andy, you'll remember this, and Michael. We went uh, with uh, Jason Doobie uh, to the other side of the Pecos Mountains on the north side over by Taos. And I remember one particular day we were walking through uh, the wilderness, and uh, it was early in the morning, and the dew had kind of settled into the cup of the leaves that were around the forest floor around us. The sun had come through the trees just enough to hit these little uh, puddles of water, And it made them shine like a diamond. I don't know if you remember that, Andy, but, but it really looked like the forest floor was full of diamonds to the point that I actually had to go up and touch it to make sure that it wasn't, in fact, a diamond because it looked that real. I remember taking a picture thinking, I got, I got to show people what this looks like. It didn't work. It wasn't even, wasn't even close to what it was like when you see it in person. And then I can remember also just the the breathtaking view, the first time I ever walked up to a a mountain peak and looked on the other side and saw the continental divide. Talk about a beauty to behold. Backpacking is not exactly a a walk in the park, but the reward of the journey is beyond description. Well, this summer, we're going to go on a journey of our own. It's what I'm calling a a journey of faith, A, a journey like a backpacking trip where you will go to places that you may have never been before, (laughs) and you'll probably see some things that you've never seen before. And I hope that there are some things that you've seen a hundred times that you will now see from a whole new perspective. We're going to take a journey through the spiritual disciplines given to us in Scripture, very practical choices that we make to, to cultivate an intimate relationship with our Savior. These are things that really, literally lead us to a breathtaking view of God's love, His grace, and His power in our lives. Where the only right response is to be in awe. And in many cases, fall on your knees in worship. Well, I'm excited about our trip next week with the boys, but I want you to know I'm very excited about the trip that we'll take together this summer as we go through this journey of faith of the spiritual disciplines. I pray that that it will be exciting for you, too That there will be some things that will be significant for you in your life But most importantly, I pray that the things that we will talk about will be used in your life to draw you closer Into an intimate relationship with our savior So before we begin the journey, let's uh, go to the lord in prayer God we do commit this time to you both now and what we will walk through yet future Uh, we Pray that uh, you will use this in our lives to draw us closer to you. I I ask that you protect us from anything that would become ritual or rote or or would lose its significance because of our way of corrupting something that was intended for good uh, into somehow uh, a selfish intent. Instead, Father, may we be humble. May we surrender ourselves. May we come to a place where we draw near to you and believe and trust that you will draw near to us. This is our prayer, Father. We lift this to you. Amen. Well, the topic of, of spiritual disciplines is is often misunderstood. For some of us, when we think about spiritual discipline, we, we have in our mind people kind of walking around in those hooded cloaks and a Benedictine monastery and, and they're mumbling things and, and fasting and, and all this religious obligation. For others, we think about... Spiritual disciplines and consider them kind of ancient practices that that really don't have any contemporary significance for our lives But when we examine scripture We will find that each of the spiritual disciplines that we will look at together Was either encouraged by or actually practiced by jesus himself At least for me (laughs) That makes this topic extremely relevant to our lives if these practices things like fasting in prayer in solitude if if they were important to jesus important enough that he demonstrated them in his own life and taught specifically about them then at the very least they deserve my attention and consideration as well and so a good place to begin is we better understand the purpose of spiritual discipline, is kind of get that 30,000-foot view. What's, What's the ultimate goal of whatever we're describing in the realm of spiritual discipline as it relates to the instruction we see from Scripture? So to find that, if you will, go to 1 Timothy, chapter 4. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7. I'd love for you to look this up on your own, but I'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, if you're interested, but uh, I love that sound, of people thumbing through their Bibles, which is a great thing, so please do that. But I want to focus specifically on the second half of verse 7 in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. (laughs) I love just the simple truths of Scripture. This is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Paul says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, what makes this interesting is when you take a step back and you understand the context within which this was written. So if you would, go back to verse 1 of that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and read with me, beginning in verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men uh, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things, now here's the context, to the the brethren, he's telling Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and on sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for older women. These are old wives' tales. Only on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise, listen to this, for the present life and also for the life to come. So, first of all, what I want you to notice is that the call for spiritual discipline is written in the context of dangerous distractions. Paul says that some will fall away from the faith. By following deceitful spirits and and doctrines of demons. uh, Lies that are kind of wrapped around this kernel of of truth. That will be propagated by those who uh, teach one thing. But live something different. Those who claim to be godly but whose behavior does not match what they say they believe. Paul then turns to Timothy and he says, Your life, Timothy, your life needs to look different. In order to teach the truth, you must live the truth. And this life of spiritual integrity is a life of spiritual discipline. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then Paul makes an interesting contrast between bodily discipline and spiritual discipline. He says in that passage, bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. And this is what's interesting, since it has promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. In other words, bodily discipline is limited and temporary. Spiritual discipline, on the other hand, is unlimited and eternal. You see, your body can only handle So much exercise. I know a lot of us are saying, thank goodness, that's why I never do it. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you can overdo it so that what is intended for good can actually cause harm. And not only that, the benefit from bodily exercise is limited to this life only. And the reason is is because you don't take this body into heaven. You're given a completely new glorified body so the benefit of exercise may help you be healthier here on earth but what you do here does not transfer into the kingdom of heaven it does not help you be healthier in heaven but spiritual discipline is a whole different story isn't it it's spiritual discipline Paul says impacts your life now But this same impact, he tells us, actually carries over into heaven. Evidently, spiritual discipline influences a part of us which is imperishable and eternal. It has benefit now as well as in heaven. And unlike the limitations of the body, there are no limitations when it comes to spiritual discipline. He tells us that it is profitable for all things. So what this tells us, if I could be a little trite, P90X, you've heard of that? That's pretty cool. First Timothy 4:8, that's even better, because it lasts for eternity. And so the purpose of, of spiritual discipline is to produce godly character. But a good question as we think through that together is, is, is how does that process ha- happen? What What's that transformation that occurs? And I, I think there's a passage that gives us a little insight to that. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, this is Paul writing. He's going to talk again about discipline and its effect. And, and so... Uh, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, read along with me. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a, a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not Without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and, and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I think the the key element here is what Paul says in that last verse when he says, "I buffet my body and make it my slave so that I'm not disqualified." If we were to pair that to what we saw in first Timothy, he would say, I buffet my body and make it my slave so that I do not fall away from the faith and become distracted by deceitful doctrines. Once again, Paul is describing how spiritual disciplines lead us into to a life of spiritual integrity. They exist for for the purpose of growing in godliness But in this verse, we we have the additional insight of the means by which that occurs. When Paul says, I make my body my slave. What this tells me is that spiritual discipline is a form of self-discipline, or to put it another way, limiting self in order to magnify God. When I take time out of my busy schedule, To go to His Word and to spend time reading that truth, I'm setting aside my agenda for His agenda. We've talked about prayer before and that purpose of prayer to surrender our will to His will. May Your will be done in my life. That's the purpose of prayer. When we talk about fasting, we're we're setting aside that appetite so that that space created can be turned to God. So all these things, as we see, follow that biblical principle of that I must decrease so that he can increase. I I die to self so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This, I believe, brings us to the heart of the issue. Godliness or or Christ-like character is produced through spiritual discipline. Not because of of what we achieve apart from Him, but instead because of what we surrender to Him. Spiritual discipline in its simplest form is a heart of humble surrender. It it puts us in a place where, where the Holy Spirit does something within us that we simply cannot do on our own. You see, godliness is is not accomplished by, by flexing our spiritual muscles. Godliness happens when we fall on our knees, when we relinquish control. Each of the spiritual disciplines we will consider all maintain this same posture before God. Humble submission before a holy God. We have to keep this in mind. As the core truth as we set out on this journey because discipline in and of itself is somewhat dangerous. We see it in bodily exercise and the same truths are applied to spiritual exercise as well. Let me explain. First of all, in in healthy discipline, we know that there's a balance, isn't there? On one extreme, you have laziness, which is the absence of discipline altogether. And we all know. The negative impact of of laziness on our body as well as was on our mind, but spiritual laziness is even worse spiritual laziness stunts our spiritual growth and and makes us susceptible to deceit. It's what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Ephesians, and this is what he says he says, "We are no longer children." Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. You see, what Paul is describing here is spiritual laziness. A person who has no real direction or conviction in their life. They're they're tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Well, that, that sounds pretty good. Oh, but wait, wait, that sounds pretty good too. To the point where they... I don't really know what I believe or why I believe it. And when you're in that place of spiritual laziness, you are in a place of spiritual deceit. But the other extreme is equally as dangerous. It's the misperception that the more I exercise spiritually, the more I can stand on my own. This one's a little more subtle, so let me give you an example from my own experience. There was a time that I really enjoyed training for triathlons. I had a pretty regular routine, and I monitored my progress, and over time I saw improvement uh, to the point that I became competitive within the event that I chose to enter. But there was a point in time, and and I can't tell you exactly when this point occurred, but there was a definite point in time where something that I had started because I enjoyed turned into something that I had to prove. I can distinctly remember the first Ironman triathlon that I did right here in Lubbock. And I remember being on the bike, and you're going to think this is silly, but not you actually won't because you know I'm kind of soft like this, but I started crying (laughs) on the bike in the middle of the triathlon. And the reason was I was overwhelmed with the fact that I was doing something that I thought I could never possibly accomplish in my life. I wasn't winning the race. I wasn't trying to win the race. I was enjoying the benefit of what I had done in all that training to do something that I thought I would never be able to do in my life. It was a wonderful experience. But the next time I did that same race, everything changed. Now I was out to prove something. If nothing else, to prove to myself that I could do just a little bit better than the time I had done Before And what started out as as a release turned into a burden that robbed me of my joy. And that same danger exists in the realm of spiritual discipline. It should be a labor of love. It is encouraged by God because it draws us closer into a relationship with Him. But when what we do becomes the means by which we prove our worth... When our discipline becomes our identity, then we no longer reap the intended benefit. We need to to live in a balance where our spiritual discipline is much like our bodily discipline, where we avoid one extreme over the other. Because we're not out to earn His favor. (laughs) We're out to surrender to Him In order to experience his grace. Spiritual discipline produces godliness. Not because we want to achieve something to earn his favor. But because we want to surrender something to experience his grace. The other reality of spiritual discipline is very much like bodily discipline. Is that they both take time. (laughs) None of us are going to start exercising tomorrow and and say to ourselves, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by Friday. It's just not going to happen. That's foolishness, isn't it? It's not going to happen. It takes time. Again, I can remember when I first started training training for triathlons, I I tell people I went from couch to to my first triathlon because I wasn't doing anything when I first started. And I had a friend from work who was a really good athlete, and he introduced me to this concept of, of base training. Now, now base training is an exercise method intended for endurance athletes. It allows people to kind of have a steady pace over a long period of time. And so what he explained to me is when I first started out, he says, Todd, you need to make sure you exercise in a certain target heart rate zone. All right. So he did some testing and he says, here's your heart rate zone. Next time you go out and do whatever you do, stay within this zone. Pretty simple. So sure enough, that first day, I strapped on my heart rate monitor and had my little alarm set to tell me when I got outside of this heart rate zone, got on my shoes, ran out my front door to go for a jog. Literally, I did not get to my mailbox before the alarm went off. It was telling me my heart rate was too high, and I hadn't jogged more than 10 yards. So I spent the next hour walking more than I did running. And I went back to my friend, and I said, hey, listen, buddy, there's something wrong here. That zone is way too low. We need to lift it up because this is not going to do me any good at all. And he says, I know it's counterintuitive, but he said, listen, do what I tell you to do. It works. Well, I was pretty skeptical, but I stayed with it just as he said. And what I found was over time that increasingly I could do twice the intensity with half of the heart rate, which allowed me and others who do that kind of training to to exercise for six, eight, and if you do a full Ironman, 14 hours. Can you imagine? But it's because of that training method that allows your heart rate to endure over a long period of time. It's truly amazing. Well, if you want to run the spiritual race with endurance, the basic principle applies. Don't expect some things, to, to disciplines to, put, to apply to your life, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you're quoting Bible verses in Greek. It's just not going to happen. It's going to take time. So be consistent. Be steady and and look for the long-term benefit over a long period of time. Because here's the great thing. The Bible has a base training method too as well. Did you know that? The Bible has a base training method for for spiritual exercise. You'll find it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin of which so easily entangles us. And listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's biblical base training. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. It is a long obedience in the same direction. That's biblical base training, and it works. One final warning about spiritual discipline, and it's this. One size does not fit all. I know there are some people who really enjoy going for a jog or walking out and going for a walk in their neighborhood, and there are some who absolutely hate it. There's some who like to swim and some who would drown if you actually put them in the water, right? Different people enjoy different things for bodily exercise. The same is true for for spiritual discipline. In fact, I would suggest that it's best, as it is in bodily exercise, not to do the same thing over and over and over again. Try something different. Experience something new. Go to some place that you've never been before. Because no matter what you do, the goal is still the same. The purpose of spiritual discipline is to produce godliness. It's a journey of faith that leads us into a more intimate walk with our Savior. So as we finish up this morning, let let me tell you where this journey begins. I want us to, in a way, take that first step. And to do that, let me kind of put it in the context of an analogy. I remember when... Terry and I were dating. There was enough time for us, uh, having gotten to know each other, that we were both fairly interested in what it would be like to spend the rest of our our lives together. I uh, remember specifically how smitten I was with Terry. I I literally saw her across a crowded room and told myself, I need to meet that girl. And, And so from that moment on, I became a student of Terry. What I mean by that is I wanted to find out what her favorite food was because that's where we were going to go eat. Right? I wanted to know what her favorite music was because that's what would be on the radio. I wanted to find out who her friends were because I wanted to get in good with her friends to get in good with Terry. Not to mention the fact that they could teach me something that I needed to know about Terry and I wanted that information because here's the deal. I wanted to learn everything I could about her in order to love her. You know, from the very beginning, she stole my heart, and it was my effort to win her heart and To do that, I knew that that I needed to be a student of Terry. I would want to know her better in order to love her better. Now, this is kind of a side note, but that pursuit should not stop once you get married. We need to continue to pursue our spouse to know them better to to know new things to love in new ways for a lifetime that pursuit should continue but my point is this the spiritual journey the the spiritual disciplines is a loving pursuit it is a journey that begins in the mind because the more we know the more we love it, now, I say that as long as we are in agreement that God is not a subject to be studied, but a person to be known. Okay? That's important. Because if my goal in dating Terry was to know her so I could analyze her, that would be called stalking, not dating. <laughs> right? My goal was not to explain her. In fact, I gave up on that a long time ago. I did not want to know Terry so that I could explain Terry. My goal was to know her so that I could love her. The same is true in your relationship with God. The journey begins in the mind, but not as a subject to be studied. Jesus is a person to be known. And the more we know, the more we love. There's a passage in Matthew's gospel that I think helps us look at this. If you will, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34, if you will turn there with me. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, says, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, he says, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus gives him the response of what love is supposed to be all about. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind when I think about that, I think about those three things that Jesus listed. And he began by saying, love the Lord God with all your heart. And when I think of your heart, I think of that as the seed of your emotions, right? It's what allows us or causes us to say, you know, Doug, I love you with all my heart. And if I'm sincere, what I'm trying to communicate to him, that I feel an affection towards Doug as a friend of mine and a brother in Christ. But when our emotions are the only means with which we love people, we know that they will betray us, don't we? (laughs) They become fickle. I love you when you love me back. I love you when you're pretty. I love you when you do the things I expect you to do. (laughs) I think this is the reason Jesus doesn't stop at the heart. But he continues on with other qualities that are equally as important. And he says, love the Lord God with all your heart. And then he says, with all your soul. The soul is that, that place of willful decision. It is the, the characteristic that is unique to humanity and all of God's creation. The soul is what guides our heart and chooses to love even when we don't feel the love in our emotions. It is that quality of commitment that supersedes our emotions. But this decision to love must be based on some understanding of truth. That's the third characteristic Jesus gives. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then he says, with all your mind. The mind is that understanding. What we know to be true. The mind understands the truth we choose to believe, even when our emotions betray us. It's listed last, but I really think it's first in importance. That's why Paul will write to the Romans, and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but here it is. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Love begins in the mind. It's what we understand to be true in order to choose what is right so that our heart is undivided in our devotion to God. The spiritual disciplines lead us to that place of surrender. Where we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's where the journey begins. We learn to think as God thinks. We learn to desire what God desires. We learn to love what God loves. We know Him more intimately in order to love Him more deeply. Because the more we know, the more we love. It's not a casual assumption. Just like in our relationship with our spouse, it should be a very intentional pursuit. This is our first step in the journey of faith that we'll take together this summer. In a couple of weeks, we're going to begin to look at some of these specific disciplines of the inner life, is what I'm calling them. And we'll talk about how God uses these practices to draw us to himself and to really make that verse come to life that says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It will be an adventure. It will take you to places, for some of us, that we've never been before. And I pray that it will take you to some places that maybe you've been before, but you see from a whole different perspective. And my prayer is that it will ultimately take you to a place where God will give you a glimpse of the breathtaking beauty of His love and grace and mercy like you've never seen it before. So I want you to be excited about this. I want you to look forward to the adventure. It'll be challenging. It'll stretch you. But that's good because great is the reward. Let's pray together. God, we do come to you and pray for this journey that we're going to take this summer as a a church family. We pray that you guard our hearts and minds so that our intent is focused upon that purpose you've given us in your word to grow godliness that that christ-like character that that draws us closer to you and allows us to fulfill your purpose for our lives in this world as your light shines through us when we die to self so it is no longer we who live but you jesus christ the light of the world who live lives within us father we're excited about this journey help us to expect things that you intend to reveal to us in ways maybe we've not seen before we dedicate it to you and it's in your name that we pray amen